It's the Morgan Evans More or Less Pickleball podcast coming at you in three, two, one, boom. Pickleball is an unyielding juggernaut of momentum. From the grassroots to the pro level, the game just keeps growing. As the CEO of Pickleball Central, Edward Hector is in a prime position to address the state of the game and give us insight into the evolution of the modern paddle. Now, if you've never heard of Pickleball Central, then either you've been dinking in a cave for the last 15 years, or you've accidentally found this podcast while trying to listen to the other Morgan Evans. He's a uh, country music artist. I guess he's kind of famous, I don't know. If it's the latter, then you will be a little confused by this podcast, but you'll probably enjoy it more than listening to that talentless hack for 45 minutes. Just jokes, other Morgan, but answer your emails, mate. Come on, we'd be hilarious on the court, and we're from the same country. Anyway, I digress. Please welcome Mr. Edward Hector. Edward, how are you, mate? I'm very well. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. It is absolutely my pleasure. I love what you do for Pickleball, and I think that this is such an amazing thing that you've put your time into for this podcast, and I'm humbled to be here. Well, that's very sweet of you, but you know, we should wait until the end of it before you say it's been my pleasure, for sure. <laughs> you never know what I'm going to ask, right? Jeez. I'm trying to recall the last time you and I were on a court together. I think you tagged me seven times in four minutes, so <laughs> I should probably uh, keep the powder dry. Good idea. So for our 3.4 million listeners, there might be someone out there who doesn't know what Pickleball Central is. So can you give us a brief kind of history of the company and, and how you got started in it? Absolutely. Well, Pickleball Central is the largest company exclusively devoted to Pickleball in the world. And that is a big thing today. But back when we started, Pickleball was much smaller. We got founded 14 years ago by David Johnson and Anna Copley, the co-founders of the company, and it was literally a kitchen table business, the sort of business that you start with nothing more than a laptop and a little extra space at home. And the company was founded after Anna tried to find gifts to purchase for her mom, who had become a pickleball player and couldn't find anything online that she liked. And so she decided that it was time to fill the niche of some gift products in the pickleball space. And she started Pickleball Central with David to provide t-shirts and apparel options to pickleball players. That was 2006, and here we are in 2020, and uh, we're a little different company today. (laughs) Yes, it's basically a global enterprise now. It is. You know, we have customers all over the world. Uh, we are, I think we've shipped product to like 34 different countries or maybe 48. I forget the number. I'll have to check with Johnny on that. But it's been really an exciting journey uh, to watch the company evolve as the game has evolved and as the sport has evolved and as the industry has evolved. Yeah, obviously the sport is growing like wildfire. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on the show is to celebrate your recent awards. There was two leading publications that have recognized your work. Firstly, the the Puget Sound Business Journal listed you number 52 out of the top 100 fastest growing companies in Washington. 
And secondly, the racket sports industry has given you the Champions of Pickleball Award. I got to know, firstly, how do we get you into the top 50? Who can possibly be beating you in Washington? Jeez. Well, you know, Washington is a notoriously innovative high-tech state, and a lot of the companies on the list above us are really amazing companies. There's about 30,000 private companies in the state. So for us to be in the top 100 is really an honor. And it's a testament to how the amazing team at Pickleball Central has kept the company vibrant and growing, but it's also a testament to Pickleball's incredible growth over the last 14 years. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's the the Champions of Pickleball Award that's most interesting. You've invested a lot of time, effort, money into growing the game. And well, we all thank you for that. I remember running lots of pickleball tournaments during 2015, 16, 17. And every time I called on you guys to chip in for a sponsorship, you never said no. So much appreciated. We think about the sport, like I said, in three ways, the game, the sport, the industry. The game is what we all fall in love with. And that's what we want to support is more people playing pickleball because fitness is vitally important to us, especially in the older demographics. I'm now in my late fifties and it's been a real extension to my own athleticism over my life, getting involved with pickleball. But that personal journey is repeated hundreds of thousands of times around this country. And so investing in the game and helping this incredible fitness activity grow and catch fire is part of what we do. We distinguish between the game and growing the sport is the sport is the competitive side. What goes on for those of us brave enough or dumb enough to want to go out <laughs> and play active tournament worlds or active tournament experiences and spend seven, eight hours sometimes battling our way through a bracket to see if we can get on a podium. That competitive world is a whole different circle of experiences and needs for our industry. And then the third view that we look at is how do we help grow the industry? And the industry is what supports the game and supports the sport. And we think that a vibrant industry investing in the game and investing in the sport is good for all of us in our fitness. Certainly. So obviously Pickleball Central has a real kind of bird's eye view of the game and the sport. And it's very much a social activity. It's one of the reasons why we all love it. And during this unprecedented times, the pandemic has kind of forced a lot of people who are social to be, it's asked everybody to be less social. And you would think that would lead to a bit of a decline in the sport's attendance. But I have a funny feeling that's that's not quite the case. Can you give us a bit of a snapshot of where you saw the game pre-virus and now that we're kind of seven, eight months on? So we've been tracking the growth of pitfall in two ways. One is the participation levels and how many players are active in the game. The Sports Fitness Industry Association does an annual survey of participation on a very large number of sports. And they've been reporting this very consistent, almost 10% annual growth rate in pickleball participation. And so we hear the top line number of about three and a half million players in the United States That's three and a half million people who have played pickleball sometime in the last year. And then the core group that plays, according to the Sports Fitness Industry Association, about 1.2 million people who are playing eight or more times a year. It's those core or what we sometimes jokingly at Pickleball Central call the hardcore players who are making pickleball their primary fitness regimen. 
And there's about a half a million to 600,000 players that we believe fit that profile. Wow. That number has been growing steadily over the last three years at this sort of 10% growth rate. And that was really our business plan for this year was based on that core growth model and the number of new participants coming into the sport because of the incredible enthusiasm of the existing players inviting new participants in was really what we were excited about January, February of this year as we were executing the early stages of our 2020 plan. The pandemic threw us a curveball and we did a lot of modeling of different ways we thought the business might go when COVID-19 started spreading around the United States. We had a couple of assumptions, worst case of that we would see a shrinking of the participation and the best case initially out of the gate was that maybe on just a flat that we wouldn't see the growth this year. What shocked us was how many new players joined pickleball and sought out pickleball as that socially distant new activity, fitness activity that replaced other parts of their fitness regimen. And pickleball is that perfect backyard, driveway, cul-de-sac, public park name that if you show up with a net of your own and a paddle and some balls, you're ready to rock and roll. And it shocked us how many of those entry-level net systems and paddle systems or paddle sets that we sold during the early parts of the pandemic. Wow. We believe that uh, about 250,000 new players above what was forecast at the beginning of the year got involved in pickleball just during the second and third quarter of this year. Fantastic. So the game is alive and well. At, at unprecedented levels. <laughs> That's amazing. We're going to hold it there just briefly with Edward for one of our new segments called One and a Half Cents, because I'm still saving up for two. Today I want to talk about customizing your paddle weight to improve your performance. A lot of people have an idea of how heavy they like their paddle, but how many of you know exactly what kind of swing weight or balance point you like? Have you ever picked up a paddle and tried to guess how heavy it is and been way off? It's likely because the balance point plays a role in how heavy it feels and therefore how it plays. Using lead tape bought from local tennis or golf shops is legal for tournament use and is an easy way to experiment to ultimately find out what weight is right for you and how you like it balanced. As a general rule of thumb, the heavier the paddle, the more power it can create. I use the word can because there is a diminishing return on this principle, and if you overload the paddle to the point that you're unable to swing the paddle fast enough to generate real force, then those five extra ounces ain't going to help you much. If you think of your paddle as a clock, where the tip is at 12 o'clock and the butt of the handle is at 6, then 9 and 3 o'clock positions are two of the most common places people add weight. In this location, you'll feel some added stability and some extra pop. Moving up the clock will add even more power, and it'll raise the sweet spot slightly, which can be useful for players who contact the ball high towards the end. If you find your paddle feels too whippy, then adding some weight around 12 o'clock will give you maximum bang for your buck, but it's also likely to make the paddle feel quite head-heavy. Adding weight to the handle can work for someone who already has a heavy enough paddle, but would like to make it feel a little bit lighter through the air, as it will bring the balance point closer to the handle and be effectively making the paddle more head light. 
If you want to keep the balance point feeling the same, but would like to increase the weight, then I suggest trying this. Firstly, you'll need a pair of scissors, a kitchen scale, and someone to remind you not to put your fingers in your mouth after handling the lead tape. Thanks, Jen. Cut a strip of lead that weighs approximately 0.2 ounces and wrap it symmetrically at the top. It should cover approximately the 10 to 2 o'clock region, depending on the width of the tape you bought. Once you've done that, then add one overgrip to the handle. These are thin and useful and should add around about 0.2 ounces also. With both the lead tape and the extra grip, you've now added 0.4 ounces to the paddle without really changing the balance point. Toy around with weight and positions until you really find what works for you. Whatever you settle on with weight and balance, I suggest you record that balance point so that you can get back to it when you get your lovely new Vanguard paddle. To do this, you can simply stabilize a ruler on a table using a couple of books and move the paddle along it until you find the point that it's able to balance relatively unassisted. Mark the edge guard there and record the distance from the bottom of the handle to that point. That should give you a good reference to help you get the most out of your new paddles. If you're out there thinking that adding weight to the paddle is going to give you a chance for an injury, then please don't. Generally, it's not the weight of the paddle that causes injury. It's poor technique, very often using a forehand grip on a backhand, especially backhand volleys repeatedly. So feel free to customize and let me know how you go. All right, let's head back over to Edward for more game-changing intel. So obviously you have a unique perspective. What would you say is the biggest driving force behind the growth of the game? I think there is something magical about the fun social aspect of the game that is lightning in a bottle. And we all know what it feels like to go to a set of courts with our friends and find competition at our level and get into that social groove for several hours where we drop our paddle in the queue and we jump on the court either as a challenger or we defend if that's the kind of setup in that court situation. And the nature of these 15 to 30 minute games that we play, you know, single games to 11, typically in that social setting is incredibly fun. You get an outcome, you get off the court, you take a drink, you take a a breath, and you pop right back on the court again. And that kind of mix and rumble that goes on in those social settings are glorious. And pickleball players, there's something magical about the sport that it attracts these really loving, open-hearted people. And that, I think, has been one really amazing part of the growth is just the magical dynamic of the game. But the other is thinking about all the volunteers that are out there, both formal volunteers and informal, bringing new people into the sport. USA Pickleball has over 2,000 volunteer ambassadors around the country. That is an army of people teaching in schools, parks, senior centers, even prisons, getting new players involved in this amazing game and unlocking the athletic potential of so many people who maybe thought that their athletic days were behind them. So would you say we've kind of already reached critical mass and now the game has its own legs and no matter what is done from here on out, it's just going to keep growing like this? Or is it always going to take this army of volunteers and companies such as Pickleball Central to promote to keep it going? I believe critical mass has been achieved because of the volunteers, because of the people who invest their own time and treasury 
to sponsor events and grow the participation in the game and in the sport. And that creates a sustaining industry. The number of companies that are involved is growing. And a large number of those companies are making large investments in carving out their own niche. And that turns into people on payroll that are earning a living inside of pickleball. And that creates the commercial momentum to carry us forward. So I don't see the role of the volunteers doing anything but accelerating and continuing to power our growth. But then it becomes incumbent upon the industry to show their support to all of these volunteer entities out there and try and help make this wonderful and glorious thing get even larger and embrace more players coming in and finding the joy that we found. That's a good point for sure. Do you think that it needs to be necessarily on traditional TV for Pickleball to really hit it big time and reach the kind of audiences that we all know it could get to eventually? I think the term, quote unquote, traditional TV is a term that is maybe 10 years out of date. Uh, The pandemic has shown us that how many of us watched traditional TV during the pandemic? We're streaming everything. How many different subscriptions does the typical family now have to online streaming services? It's a very disruptive time to be in the broadcast television game because citizen broadcasting is this new phenomenon where somebody can show up with literally a phone and that's it. And they're a broadcaster. and There's been this really amazing, exciting expansion in self-produced citizen journalism, citizen broadcasting in pickleball that has exploded the number of eyeballs that are attracted through YouTube and Facebook and other platforms to the game and to the sport. Now, would we all like to see pickleball on Saturday afternoon broadcast television? The answer is absolutely I think it would be an exciting thing. But I think that's more validation of the growth that we know that's already there. But the broadcast industries are struggling with the way that they're attacking sports because the barrier to entry is much lower Mm. for citizen broadcasters. So all sorts of really interesting niche new sports are finding their way to eyeballs. So being on television isn't necessarily a chicken or an egg. It's more just going to be an indication that the hard work has already been done by whatever has been really growing the game. Uh, And I think you're absolutely right with this citizen broadcasting. And I'm totally going to use that that phrase. That's a great phrase. I do remember going to all the tournaments 2014, 15, 16, and and there wasn't an organized camera really, but there was a whole bunch of phones. And the best you could hope for was a handful of shout outs on Facebook. It seems like we've come a long way from that sort of time. I always get this feeling like when someone tunes into a television to watch a professional sport, they kind of want to see superhuman things happen. When Rafa Nadal slides around on a clay court for six or eight hours straight, not usually eight, there's no one at home thinking, oh, I'm pretty sure I can do that. (laughs) Can Pickleball one day sort of sell the idea that its best players are superhuman or or is it going to take an elite player crossing over? I think that pickleball can create its own heroes and already has. I mean, there are some phenomenal personalities in pickleball that are influencing this industry that's built around three and a half million players. 
And it's just the growth as it continues will continue to create opportunities for those players to stand on their own. I don't think there needs to be a crossover. The stars of the sport today are already worthy of that attention and worthy of watching those matches. Who wouldn't want to tune in on a Saturday afternoon here in Seattle when it's raining, you can't get any outdoor pickleball in and watch some of our top 10 players in this sport battle it out. It's just a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's a fairly sort of popular opinion that you could take, say, a Roger Federer or, or a Rafa Nadal and give them a pickleball paddle and let them train for a couple of hours and they could compete or win at pickleball. Whether that's right or wrong, that's kind of a, a, an accepted belief by a lot of people. I think it would take a lot longer than that. But for me, I feel like hopefully in my lifetime, we will see the flip side of that, whereby a top-level pickleball player can easily transfer over and play professional tennis or professional table tennis or, or badminton. Do you think that'll happen in our lifetime? I don't know if that transition will occur. I, I would love to think that it could. The challenge is where do you find a sport that people want to play more than pickleball? I think that's the <laughs> fundamental premise that I would have a challenge with is that these folks would leave pickleball to go someplace else, but I'm a pickleball snob, so I have a biased perspective on that. It is exciting to watch some of the very gifted athletes coming from other sports, and it's not just tennis. The study that we did back in 2019 suggests that only about 35% of the people entering pickleball and becoming first-time players in pickleball have a background in tennis. 65% come from other sports. and while the high-end professional pickleball world has a higher incidence of tennis uh, backgrounds, you know, folks like yourself, there are still a lot of incredibly gifted non-tennis background athletes that are in the top 10 men and women players in the sport. It's really exciting to see someone bringing baseball or golf or some other sporting background and thriving and using that different style and those different mechanics and intellect. Yeah, I feel like there's this kind of a, a loophole in what it takes to become a professional player, a successful player at the top level, where there are so many top level tennis players who have become fantastic professional pickleball players. They typically all are basically reading the body language of other tennis players and they have done their entire life and they're able to kind of get a good read of a shot selection by virtue of their eyes just seeing very similar technique for so many years and years and years. But the problem comes when someone comes over that's perhaps a badminton or to someone with very unorthodox technique, that great advantage they have in reading that body language and reacting fast because of it is kind of out the window. I remember playing against Brian Ashworth for the first time and not understanding what was going on because my eyes just were, it was so foreign. <laughs> so I think there's always going to be room for those players players up there because uh, they're going to be the kryptonite for all those tennis players that can't quite know how to deal with it too quickly. The Brian Ashworths, the Callan Dawson's, the uh, Corinne Carr's who come out of these alternate non-tennis backgrounds, it's fun to watch sometimes when they're the, uh, the foursome on the court, they may be the only non-tennis player. And sometimes they're not seeing balls because the opposing team is a little spooked by What's that player going to do with it? It's an unpredictable outcome. So it's a lot of fun to watch. 
<laughs> yes, it is. And I'm sure for, for your average viewer who sees three top tennis players and a Brian, it's entertaining to see him getting the better of a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian gets the better of, uh, of many, many folks. The number of times I've been owned by that guy, sometimes playing when he's playing left-handed, sometimes even playing the little Selkirk Riley 200p paddle and beating the heck out of me. <laughs> no tennis required to accomplish that. No, for sure. So speaking of paddles, obviously Pickleball Central, you sell all kinds of different equipments and balls. Paddles are kind of your bread and butter. How do you test them? I'm sure you get hundreds of questions about what kind of paddle might be right for a certain person. What do you have to go through to to test them out so you can accurately advise people? When I got involved with Pickleball Central uh, six years ago, we had in our product line at the time about 20 models of paddles. and They were very similar for the most part in construction, a couple variations that were pretty easy and logical to distinguish. I think we're carrying right now close to 135 models, maybe even 140 now on Pickleball Central. And the diversity of design, shape, construction is more vibrant today than at any time in the industry. And it can create an overload almost for a new player entering the game or a player looking to upgrade. So we've developed sort of the Pickleball Central equivalent of the Best Buy Geek Squad. We have a bunch of really nerdy players who have sought to understand the material science aspect of paddles, the shape dynamics aspect of paddles, the various player profiles. We think about them sort of as avatars, a what's different between a badminton player, a table tennis player, a baseball player, a tennis player, and what type of paddles might appeal to someone with these various sporting backgrounds. And this geek squad is a, we're a group of about six or seven tournament players that are all sort of in the 3.5 to 5.0 range. And we just take it seriously and we bring a new paddle in and we evaluate it and we break it down by a number of factors and try and categorize those paddles on our website in a way that a consumer can find their way to the right category page and see a subset of that 130 plus models that might be most apt to be right for them. And then we give them a 30-day test drive option that if they buy it and they don't like it, they can send it back and try the next thing. It gives everyone the confidence to take a flyer on something new, like the new Maxima, as an example, which is a very unique and exciting paddle that we think is going to generate a lot of attention. And But it, it looks different, and therefore it requires us to be really thoughtful in the way that we describe its play characteristics. I love that generally people think different is better. And with the Maxima looking different, it clearly is better. I have had a lot of fun testing it. Uh, the, the last couple of weeks, it's been, it keeps coming out of the bag. I'll be out testing another paddle and I keep picking up the Maxima and going back to it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Brilliant. Well, I'm happy to hear it. I, and just so you know, I certainly didn't, uh, you know, PayPal you 20 minutes ago for that. <laughs> <laughs> Not so, at all. Can the right paddle essentially transform someone's game? Can a paddle really be fit to a person in the same way that you know, golf clubs get fitted to people, different kind of sporting equipment can really kind of be customized or, or fit to a person? Do you have a broad enough kind of definition of what a person 
would need based on their physical characteristics? Absolutely. And so the physical characteristics and their athletic background experience combine to create an opportunity for a player to get something that's more comfortable or less comfortable for them. So my background is from a racket sports perspective is racquetball and racquetball players tend to play the ball a little bit higher up the base over a period of time. Racquetball rackets tend to turn a little bit more teardrop and with a focused tight sweet spot further out, you get higher head speeds because you're playing the ball further away from your hand and you can generate more power. And that's a very different kind of experience for, say, someone who has a baseball background and they're used to fielding a ball as an infielder, for instance, and they play and approach their interaction with their equipment with their differently and what their expectation of balance is. And so I think Selkirk has done a fantastic job of using shape to define characteristics of the paddle that allows almost every player type to find the paddle that has the right shape for them. Where do they like the sweet spot, up towards the top or down closer towards the handle? Do they want a paddle that's wider and therefore more forgiving in rapid kitchen volley scenarios where the player isn't able to watch the ball all the way into the face? Or does that player have really incredible hand-eye coordination where they're watching the ball onto the paddle each time and can use the paddle that has a little bit more reach to it and generate more power out of it? So I absolutely think that the technology and evolution of battle design with the various amazing power crafters that are out there has really done a tremendous amount to make players feel more confident on the court. Well, that's that's very interesting. For someone to be kind of in the category of a, a square-faced kind of play, is there a kind of a broad picture in your mind of who should sort of go towards a more traditional shape paddle, just the, the square, either kind of S2 or Epic from the Selkirk range would be good examples of that more square-faced place? I think that those are players who are, they tend to have less of a high-end tennis background, and they tend to have a more general sporting background. They can be incredibly effective and incredibly talented players, but they there's some differences about the way that, say, a baseball player or a golfer thinks about hand-eye coordination and how that relationship is there. So the size of the sweet spot being more squared up on those wide body paddles makes the paddle more playable, not just in the length, the distance between your grip and the end of the paddle, but also side to side. I mean, personally, if I have a paddle that was 12 inches wide and 24 inches long, I'd love it. I feel like I could probably block <laughs> Better when I face you on the court and not get tagged quite so often, but the USA Pickleball rules being what they are, we're limited in what we can put out there. And so those wider paddles, I think, are very forgiven. And then you compare that to something like the recent trend in paddle design with a longer handle, creating more mass out at the end of the paddle, more weight at point of contact, slightly longer paddles. Sweet spot playing further up on the base allows for players to generate more head speed, more swing weight that transfers to the ball, but the sweet spot might shrink a little bit. But for those gifted players with that sort of tennis background, the paddle becomes an incredible weapon. So essentially, it sounds like you're kind of saying that there is a real relationship between a person's hand-eye coordination, we'll just call it that, and how long their paddle should be. The further away 
from your hand the sweet spot is, the more difficult it would be to consistently hit that sweet spot and therefore the more coordinated you would want to be to actually make it worthwhile. Is that a roundabout way of what you're saying? I think it's a very eloquent way to say it. You think about like golf, half a degree change in your swing in golf is the difference between you putting a ball two fairways over, putting a ball in the middle of the fairway you're on because of the geometry, the length of that, mm. that lever that's got a, a club head on the end of it. And so that same sort of geometry creates power, allows you to strike a golf ball 200 plus yards. You just scale that geometry down and it becomes more forgiving the, the wider, the closer the ball is played in on your hand. It's interesting. I, I remember I bought a different driver about, uh, about six months ago or so. And I hadn't realized that the driver I was using was around about a, a 46-inch shaft, which is kind of about standard or so when you buy it off the shelf. And what I didn't know was the vast majority of PGA pros were using 44 or 44-and-a-half-inch shafts. So the club was essentially shorter. I and mean, obviously, they are incredibly talented, gifted athletes, but they had elected to basically have less power off the tee for the sake of hitting the middle of the club head more often. It was a good kind of awakening for me to, and started making me think about the maxima, which had traditionally been 17 inches and now is closer to 16 and a half. I mean, how much easier it, it's become to find that sweet spot more often than anyone out there, you know, probably just by five or six, just to be sure. Edward says he should anyway. <laughs> it's amazing how the Physics are very similar sport to sport. All of these stick and ball type sports, it's all a function of all of these different rotational energies that are created through your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder, and how all of that translates into the way you strike a ball, whether you're a baseball player in a batter's box or a golfer on a fairway or a pickleball player in a court. And so the equipment that you're using that can change that geometry is really exciting. One of the things that we've always recommended with players in pickleball is to think about the hardest shots to make in the game. Almost anybody can hit a ball out. Almost anybody has the ability to hit a ball 40 feet and drive it out. The hard shots are how do you place a soft shot carefully and accurately to make that ball unattackable. That's generally not a function of power. That's a function of control. And so we think that that should be the starting point for a lot of your paddle selection or an early player. And then as you advance your skills, you get into thinking about the paddle moving from a shield to a sword from defense to offense. So when you're starting out, make your selections primarily focused on what's going to help you up at the kitchen more so. But as you get better, you can afford to be thinking more about what's going to give you more of an advantage in the longer shots, the, the drives, the serves, and trusting that you can make it work for the kitchen as well. That's fundamentally where we start our advice with most new players that are coming in. That's worth the price of admission right there. That's what I should start doing. <laughs> have you had a chance to play with all the new Vanguard paddles? I have. Um, I'm really thankful. We have one of the most enjoyable, maybe the best jobs on the planet. At any given time, we might have 10 to 20 paddles that are prototypes that have been sent to us ahead of time by manufacturers for us to evaluate and start to develop our early content development strategies. How do we describe these paddles to our clientele? And so when we started getting the advanced versions of the Vanguards, it was really exciting. You know, the Vanguard 
line incorporates a couple of the latest trends in paddle design, thicker core combined with that carbon fiber graphite piece that creates a wonderful set of play characteristics. And so for us, the fun was we were already sold on the general technology set that Selkirk chose to deploy with those thick core graphite faces of the Vanguard hybrid. What we were most jacked about was playing with the different shapes and seeing how the different shapes really translated into different kinds of play scenarios. So in looking at the paddles designed for Lindsay and Riley as an example, mm-hmm. with those long handles, because both of them are these two-handed defensive demons on the court that they are so capable of defending their turf with a unique approach. They absolutely need paddles that have enough space for them to maintain two-handed contact, forehand and backhand, it seems like. So that was fun to play with the new Mach 6s and compare them to the new Maxima and how different those are compared to some of these shapes that we all know and love out of the, the Selkirk line. And in saying that, can you get a feel based on the wider range of paddles, which kind of paddle is suitable for which player? So there are exceptions to this rule, but just at a high level, some of the paddles that I instantly start thinking about when I'm talking to a potential customer, that boy, I'm going to start gravitating them down this path. An Invicta, for instance, and now the Maxima would fall into the bucket of paddles for people who have good racket sports backgrounds and especially tennis backgrounds. The sweet spot's a little further up. They're wide enough to be incredibly capable defensive paddles, but they can generate an incredible amount of pop by playing the ball up on the, the sweet spot. And that's very different than, say, an Omni designed and shaped by Ben Peterson in partnership with the team there at Selkirk which is more of a table tennis design with designed for someone who plays with a finger up on the face. And mm. what people may not know is that the Invicta, the Omni the Maxima are effectively the same length and the same width, but with very different shapes of the handle, the neck and the top, but really designed for three different players with relatively which seems like not a lot of change, but really is creating a lot of difference in the playability. So I tend to think about those kind of players, tennis and table tennis with those sort of paddle selections. Players coming out of other sports where maybe they don't have that racket sports experience, I tend to migrate more towards the epic. I think that it is the easiest, most playable paddle, but you do give up a little bit of length and a little bit of reach. The S2 has the largest surface area. And so therefore, I see a lot of evolution where people start with an Epic and move up to a, an S2, or they figure out how to use that additional surface area. So those paddles tend to be in that bucket of players who tend not to come out of tennis. But a lot of ex-tennis players using S2s out there. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of folks that absolutely adore that paddle. We're going to hold it there again for a quick word from our sponsor, Coach Me Pickleball. Practice makes perfect, right? My name is Morgan Evans, and I have to tell you that practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes progress. That's why we've created Coach Me Pickleball. At Coach Me Pickleball, you'll find an extensive and growing library of lessons on topics covering every aspect of pickleball for every level of player. 
For one small monthly fee, you'll get access to every video in our library with new content added every month. Check out coachmepickleball.com to sign up for a free 7-day membership. All right, let's head back over to Edward. So you've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different panels in the last few years. What do you think has been the kind of the biggest evolution or revolution in the game? Is it shape or materials? It's both. I think that two or three of the biggest breakthroughs that we've seen is one is the increasing adoption of carbon fiber, also known as graphite. The paddles were called graphite paddles originally, but the reality is it's moving increasingly towards a carbon fiber base laid over the core. So five, six years ago, we saw cores start to move in the direction of polypropylene cores, really durable wonderful soft feel, great control. And we started to see the decline of aluminum and Nomex cores and some of the alternative materials that were being used. So as polypropylene cores became more standard, it then became a function of how did you mate that core with the right face material. A lot of the paddles coming out originally were using half-inch thick polypropylene core. And then you started to see some folks experimenting with thicker cores. Selkirk's example was the AMP series, which was really a breakthrough in product development at Selkirk and was incredibly successful. And that thicker core gave more consistency in the sweet spot, side to side and top to bottom. So you got all the performance that you wanted, but just a larger, more consistent sweet spot out of it. And so now we're seeing that technology mated with that carbon fiber and graphite face material, and it's the best of both worlds. But the same exact material cut in two entirely different shapes are two radically different paddles. And that's what's exciting. You can sort of pick your material set and you can pick your shape now and really get something that's unique for you. That's an exciting time to be alive, isn't it? Jeez. For a guy who sells pickleball paddles for a living, yeah, it really is. (laughs) (laughs) It must be really nice to be in a position that uh, yourself and Pickleball Central are in, in that when you invest into something as big as an entire sport and you have the luxury of being able to kind of see your ROI in the actual growth of the entire sport, it's going to be a humbling experience for you. It is. And we feel a debt of gratitude to the game and to the folks that helped bring this about. We are considered an old company in the sport, but we're only 14 years old. There are people going back to the original inventors of the game and the McCallum family and the Bells and all of these folks that were involved in creating this amazing game and the the magic behind it. And it's all built on their shoulders. And all of the amazing folks at USA Pickleball going back over the years that helped spread this game, the the Johnny Appleseeds uh, of pickleball spent, you know, taking this thing around the country and now around the world. It's humbling. And so we want to make sure that we're really doing everything we can to reward and thank and support those folks that have created the industry opportunities for companies like us and Selkirk and the other manufacturers involved in the marketplace. That's excellent. Even though you've stood on the shoulders of giants, you've become one yourself. Good man. Tell me what's next for you. I want to kind of draw this and wrap a little bow on it. How can people find you? Do you take visitors? Because people, I think you're you're one of those kinds of people that you could just chat to for years. Can people book an appointment just to talk to you? (laughs) That's kind of you to suggest that, Morgan. 
we have an incredible group of pickleball fanatics that work at Pickleball Central. So all you have to do is go to pickleballcentral.com, look at our toll-free number and dial it, and you're going to get an equally passionate pickleball fanatic like me, but I'm not the only one. There's almost 40 of us running around the shop. So you're apt to get somebody on the phone who might have different opinions, but it's based on the same data and information that I have. And we welcome those opportunities to talk. We're currently closed to the public during the pandemic for safety reasons. And we hope at some point to open our doors back up to the public. And I know you've been up to visit and we've always enjoyed having you in the shop. It's always a fun day when Morgan's on. <laughs> and I hope to be there again soon. Edward Hector, thank you so much for your time, mate. Let's do this again soon. I, I want to keep tabs on the whole industry and you're the man to do it. Well, thank you. What I'd love to maybe talk about next time is a little bit about our laboratory and maybe Ooh. give a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of how we execute some of the scientific side of our testing because that's oh, yeah. an emerging part of our promise to our customers to stay the most insightful source of information about pickable equipment. Oh, definitely. We'll certainly do that. I'm going to have to brush up on most of my big words, do a little bit of cheating, make sure I don't get stumped by too many syllables. But yes, we will definitely do that. Morgan, thank you for everything that you do. You are just such a joy to have involved in this game, in this sport. You're an incredible ambassador, not just here, but every place that you travel around the world. I just don't know how anybody can't end up having you as a playing partner, as a coach, or <laughs> even as an opponent and not leave the court a happier person for it. That is so much what Pickleball is about. And, and we're just so appreciative of what you do for us. <laughs> well, you're very kind. This is why I can't have video, mate. You'd see me blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Edward, thanks again, mate. We'll be sure to do it again soon. Say hi to the family and the broader family at Pickleball Central for me. And hopefully we'll see you on the court soon. Very well. I will certainly pass your regards along. Stay safe. Right. You too, mate. Take care. Sure. Cheers. This podcast was powered by Selkirk. This podcast is also brought to you by the next generation of Selkirk Paddle, the Vanguard. Well, that was an adventure. Thanks for hanging out with us today, folks. Until next time, I'm Morgan Evans, and this has been More or Less Pickleball. So, we meet at last. I hear you think you know this game. You think you know pickleball, huh? Well, it's time to put your knowledge to the test. Let's see how you score on the Pickleball Trivia Quiz, with questions featured on the More or Less Pickleball podcast, hosted by myself, Morgan Evans, Selkirk's very own player, coach, and commentator. Take the Pickleball Quiz today, and see how you stack up against your friends. If it turns out you're much smarter than they are, then I suggest rubbing it in next time you're on the court.